Am I on? There we go. Praise the Lord. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, hast died for me? Wow, what a thought. And as Christians, that is our central confession. You're a visitor this morning. We welcome you. My name is Chance Sumner. I serve here as senior pastor alongside Pastor Jesse. I'm so thankful that you're here. The reason why we gather is to proclaim that message together. We believe that all of life's problems are met by the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you have Jesus in the, this life, you have everything. But that if you don't have him, you have nothing. We hope that by visiting us this morning, either in person or online, that you love Jesus more and that you see him as more and more the answer to all of life's problems. Let's open up together to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Relationships can be very hard. We all have experienced situations and relationships, either with our friends, our family, that can be toxic. It's a very popular buzzword today. I think it's helpful to describe bad relationships. Relationships can be toxic. They can be very harmful. And I think especially now with what's going on politically and culturally, you take these face masks, how this little piece of cloth is causing friendships and families to be torn apart. Now, I'm not making any claim about face masks. I'm merely observing the point that life is being torn apart by this piece of cloth. Relationships are being harmed. There are families who are dividing over a vaccine and over face masks. Relationships, I think, are especially strained right now. And we all know that these are terribly difficult circumstances to be in. And and I I choose this psalm this morning, I, I choose Psalm 3, because of the way that it addresses the issues that we're going through in our relationship. What we're going to see is that David was in a situation that was somewhat similar to the one that we're in. David himself was feeling tremendous pressure from his son, Absalom, and those who were trying to harm David. And there are times in life where our friends become our enemies, our family members become those who we no longer talk to. I know many of you have this type of experience. It's a common experience that we, I think all people have to various degrees. Does God have something to say to me in this situation? Does God care about this situation? He does. He does. God's word, God has many things to say to us. And this morning we're going to be tackling this topic of What to pray? What do we say to God? How do we approach God in prayer when we have relationships that are adversarial? In your life, when you have people who seek to undermine you or undermine your faith in God, who gossip about you, 
who speak badly of you, who resist every attempt at reconciliation. You've done all that you've can, you've done all that you could to reconcile. You've gone over and above with kindness and nice gestures. You try to reach out over and over again. You try to shower the other person with compliments and encouragement, all the, all the while walking on eggshells. And yet, what you receive in response is unkindness, maybe even hatred. How should you approach your prayer life with God in that context? That's the, that's the topic that we're tackling this morning. How do we approach God? What do we say to God in prayer when we have these relationships in which people seek to undermine us in our faith with God? We get this message from Psalm 3. Let's go ahead and read it together. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I think that it's fitting for Psalm 3, this sermon on Psalm 3, to have three points. The first point is this. When we have adversaries in life, when people oppose us, when people seek to undermine both us and our faith in God, the way we should approach God in prayer, this is the first point. Confess the difficulty. Confess the difficulty. Another way to say this is acknowledge the situation. Acknowledge the difficulty of the situation. Stated a bit differently. In your prayers, be honest. Be honest with God. I get this point from verse 1. What I want us to notice about this psalm, and the psalms really in general, the psalms provide us with a taste of utter honesty. What we have here in, in Psalm 3 is David sharing, pouring out his heart with God. David is not guarded. There are no defense mechanisms up. There's no beating around the bush. What we have David doing here is he's being raw. He is being transparent. He's not holding anything back. Now that's true of this psalm and, and many of the psalms in general. And this type of honesty is refreshing. There are times in life where we all struggle with relationship. But it is difficult sometimes to be completely honest with God. And the reason why that is, is that when we are honest, we recognize that there is a problem. Nonetheless, David says in verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? 
many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So David here in verses 1 and 2 recounts the situation and then tells God what these enemies of his are saying about him. Now these foes, if you look above verse 1, you will notice there's a title given to this psalm. And the title mentions Absalom. Absalom, if you read 2 Samuel 15 and 16, Absalom seeks to overthrow his dad. Absalom wants to become king. And this psalm occurs within that context of this division in David's family. So the foes here are Absalom, but there are also many others. And the situation is quite dire. David feels trapped. David has many foes. He is outnumbered. And then he says, then he recounts what it is that he's heard from these people, what it is that these people have said. And what these people have said is this. There is no salvation for you, David, in God. We might understand what David is saying to God as he is recounting to God the slander that he has heard. When we have adversaries, when people are opposed to us, they will speak wrongly of us. They will slander our name. They will gossip about us. And what David does is David takes that gossip, he takes that slander, and he tells God what his enemies are saying. Now, dear friends, God knows what people say and think. We need to be clear that David here is not telling God that anything God did not know. But what David is doing is he is confessing. And confession is a critical part of our prayer life. When we confess to God, when we confess the difficulty of our relationships, the difficulty of our circumstances, we tell God that what he thinks about us and the situation is true. Our greatest ally in this life is the truth. And David here is aligning himself with the truth by pouring out his heart to God. Now my, my exhortation to be honest with God, to acknowledge the difficulty, here and here it occurs in a, in a certain cultural context. I'm not from Pierre. I'm not from the Midwest. But in being here for the past two years, I've picked up on some specifics of Midwest culture, of peer culture. I've learned how to say yes in the Midwest, which is, you betcha. I have learned that ranch dressing is kind of like how sweet tea is in the South. It goes with every meal. You can put ranch on vegetables, you can put ranch on pizza, you can put ranch on a lot of different things. I've also learned that sometimes if in the Midwest, in, in Pierre, that if someone bumps into you, you apologize for it. You say, oh, that's my fault. And I, I've learned that kind of the way you understand this, some parts of, of the Midwest living here in Pierre is, I was introduced to this terminology recently what I refer to it as Midwest nice. Have you heard of this, Midwest nice? So in the Midwest, in Pierre, if you need some help, if, you, if something breaks in your house, or if you need some type of physical assistance, 
there is a whole members list of people to call upon. The amount of service that is in this community is truly outstanding. It's not like where I came from. The amount of love and support by physical, meeting physical needs is tremendous. Now with that Midwest nice, there comes a, a downfall. No, don't throw stones. Don't throw stones. And the downfall is this. This is kind of what I've picked up on, and, and other people too. I've had, this, I've had other people tell me this as well. In the Midwest, in this culture of can-do, you can do it. There is a reservation about speaking of life's problems. The way I think that problems are largely dealt with here is through hard work and perseverance. Take family problems. Let's say there's a problem in your family. It is shameful, I think, with this Midwest nice culture to share those problems with other people. So rather, instead of sharing that burden, what, what you might be tempted to do is to just address that problem head on and keep on keeping on. Now, I want to recognize that that's, that's, there's a certain bit of truth to that. God calls us to persevere, yes. But my concern is that there's a lack of honesty. There is a lack of transparency. There is an avoiding of life's problems by not talking about them. And specifically as it occurs in prayer, my concern is that there might be a tendency or a temptation towards not really sharing with God what's going on, towards being reserved, towards telling God that everything is fine when it's not, when your relationships in your life are bad, are toxic, rather than bringing to God the truth, rather than telling God what's going on, there is this reservation regarding that. When we come to God, we come to him guarded. We come to him kind of, but not totally truthful. We come to God talking about our problems the way we talk to other people about them. Not totally, not fully. Now I want us to see how David addresses his problems. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David's being honest here. In your prayer lives, I think this is generally true, but but my application here is specific to prayer. In your prayer lives, you need to be honest with God. You need to tell him exactly what is going on. Now, that might be painful because that means you acknowledge the difficulty. But that's what you need to do. You need to tell God the truth. If people are speaking badly of you, the way God wants you to to, to address that is by bringing those comments to him. Telling God what they say. Telling God the situation. Telling God the, the dire need that you have. To be honest. To move beyond Midwest nice. And be transparent with God. God already knows. But you need to confess the truth to him. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Be honest with God. Acknowledge, confess the difficulty. The second thing that we need to do 
as we pray in light of the difficult relationships that we have, we need to have faith. We need to have faith. Now, in, in seminary, I had a preaching professor who said, never make one of your points of your sermons as have faith. So I hope he's not listening this morning. This is a general point, but, but I think it captures the passage well. Looking here at verse 3. So David acknowledges the difficulty of the situation in verses 1 and 2. He tells God what's happening. And then in 3, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, David transitions towards expressing faith in God. But you, O Lord, are, are a shield about me and my glory and the lifter of my head. What I take verse 3 to be saying is that David, in this context of difficulty, is focusing on the magnificence of God. In, in life's darkest valleys, what God tells us to do is He tells us to exalt Him. As you struggle in your relationships, what you need to do is you need to remember that God is good. Specifically, God is a shield. God is your glory. God is the lifter of your head. Shield here, David is referring to as the one who protects him. My glory refers to David's purpose and significance. Lifter of my head refers to David's encouragement. God, in the midst of David's difficulty, is David's rock. And then in verses 4 and 5, David recounts a, a, a past experience of God's faithfulness, a, a prayer request that God had answered in verses 4 and 5. I cried aloud to the Lord, so here David is recounting what happened to him in the past. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Specifically, this is what David prayed, verse 5. I laid down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. David asked for protection. David asked for security. God provided that for David. God was faithful to David in the past. And because of God's past faithfulness, verse 6, David can now live faithfully to God in the present. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So in verse 3, David magnifies God. David exalts God. We always need to do that in our prayer lives. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that our priority of praying needs to be your kingdom come, your will be done, your name be exalted. We see that here. We see that in all of the prayers we will examine. Verses 4 and 5, David recounts God's past faithfulness. And then verse 6, God's past faithfulness fuels David's present obedience in the moment. Because God has been faithful in the past, verse 5, David need not be afraid of many thousands of people who seek to undermine him. Kind of bringing this point to application, what am I saying? What I'm saying is this. In your difficult relationships, there are many times whenever there's nothing that you can do. If people are mistreating you, if people are speaking 
badly of you, if they're gossiping about you, if they're slandering you, sometimes there's very little that we can do. Relationships are two-way streets. There's only so much you can do. And sometimes you can do nothing. You are defenseless against other people's accusations, against how, uh, against the way people treat you. Now, when that happens, you need to remember that God is your shield. Now, a shield is used as a defense mechanism. And the Bible says that God is this for us. God is the one who will defend us. God is the one who will make it his interest to protect us. And as we'll see, to, to vindicate us. Our faith is not in our ability to defend ourselves. There are times that we should defend ourselves, yes. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can do nothing to help a harmful and toxic situation. And when that happens, we must have faith that God is our defender, that God is our shield, that we, what we cannot do for ourselves, that God will do for us. That God will encourage us. And also, we need to remember God's past faithfulness. We need to have faith that because God has been faithful to us in the past, he will continue being faithful to us in the present and in the future. Dear Christian, has God ever not been faithful to you? The Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And what that means for the present and for the future is that we can trust him. We can trust that he will defend us. We can trust that as people mistreat us, as we over and over again try to extend kindness and grace, and as that is again over and over again rejected, and rather being responded to in love and kindness, we receive hatred and gossip. In that, have faith that God will protect you. Have faith that God is infinitely more able to protect you then you are able to protect yourself. Pray that. Pray those types of prayer. Have that type of faith as you go through these difficult relationships. Last point. It is this. I, I got this point from my beautiful wife. So if you have a problem with the point, you can blame her. Just teasing. The point is this. Maintain hope. Maintain hope. As my wife and I were talking about this passage, she made the observation that verses 7 and 8, the end of the passage, ends with a message of hope. For our relationships, we can have hope. There are many reasons to be a Christian. If you are not a Christian, I have many reasons to share with you why you should be a Christian. I cannot think of a better one than having hope. How can you live in this world without believing that there is a loving God who is in control of all things? I, I don't understand how people live that way. We have hope. Jesus offers us hope. 
the Bible, the Bible starts with creation and then it starts with a big problem. The problem is sin. Aren't you thankful that we have more books in the Bible than just Genesis? The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Now, how does the last book of the Bible end? What is the message that it ends with? Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its, its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Jesus then says, Surely I am coming soon. That's how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with an exclamation mark, and that exclamation mark is a message of hope. And David ends his psalm, his prayer, the same way. In our relational difficulty, as we come to God with prayer, in prayer, we have to have hope. We have to maintain our hope. Jesus has risen from the dead. That changes everything. That changes how we pray. That changes how we come to God in prayer. Verse 7 and 8, starting with verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David here has a confidence. He has a confidence in God. His confidence is that God can save him. His confidence is that God can deliver him from these relationships. David's confidence, his hope, is that God is able to protect him and deliver him from the people who seek to end his life. And then also notice that, that David has a confidence in the justice of God. David says, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. God will one day execute justice. God will one day punish the wicked. And for the Christian who, who has done all that they can to, to offer love and support, and for the Christian who is only the recipient of hatred and animosity, dear friend, this is a true blessing that God will one day make all things right. All of the pain that you experience, all of the injustice that you undergo in this relationship, God will make it right one day. And then David ends, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I want you to notice, what is it that these people mock David with? The end of verse 2. There is no salvation for him in God. This criticism, this gossip, this slander has done nothing to hinder David's confidence in God's ability to save. David ends by saying what it is that the people 
say that God cannot do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Regardless of what happens in this relationship that David has with his son and with these other people, David has this confidence, this hope, that God will be vindicated, that God's will will be done. As Christians, in our relationships, we have the hope that God is good. And we have the hope that regardless of what happens, the eternal will of a sovereign and good God will be done. And I want you to notice what what David does not do. David does not try to fix the problem. David's method of action in dealing with his son, in dealing with those who seek to undermine him and who seek to bring him down, both him and his relationship with God. What it is that he does, he does not say, Oh Lord, I'm going to get them. Oh Lord, I'm going to do this or that. Now in our relationships, there are some times where we must say something. There are some times where we must stand up for righteousness. That, that, that's possible, and not just possible, likely. There are times that we should do that. At other times, though, we don't do that. Sometimes you can't fix your problems, especially with relationships, with people. Relationships are two-way streets. When you cannot do anything to fix your problem, what you must do is you must reserve yourself to doing the simple task. Pray. Pray. The Lord gives us few tools in this life to deal with life's problems. But those tools are considerably powerful. God calls you in some situations in which you have problematic relationships to do nothing other than to pray. We must have faith. We must have faith that God is good and we must have faith that God is in control. God will vindicate his people. Those who cling to God God as a shield, God will protect. Not a hair can fall from your head. Did you know that the Bible says that? Not a hair can fall from your head unless God allows that. God is in control of your life, dear friend. Have hope. Maintain your hope in God that he is where salvation is provided. God will not allow the righteous to be shamed. I end with this passage from Exodus 14. So the narrative, what's happening in the narrative is that Israel has left Egypt and Egypt is closing in on them. And and, and the, and the Jews, the Israelites, are very concerned that they will be overtaken. They're very concerned that God's enemies will conquer God's people. And as as the Israelites bring to Moses this complaint, this is what Moses says to them. And this is the posture that we need to have in prayer as we deal with difficult relationships. Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the Lord's salvation, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only 
to be still. Father, we thank you for your tremendous mercy and grace. God, in this political and cultural and social climate, families are being torn apart by seemingly insignificant matters. God, I pray for your mercy and grace for those who are in this type of situation. I pray, Father, that they would find that prayer is their weapon. Prayer is their defense. Prayer is their way to deal with the difficulty of the situation. God, I pray that as we, as our congregation, as this church, as this body submits prayers to you, I pray that you would grant us the ability to get beyond the Midwest nice, to be honest, to be raw, to be transparent, to be open about our problems, about the difficult relationships that we find ourselves in. Lord, and as we are honest, I pray for your, I pray that we would have hope and that we would have faith, that we would have faith that you are good and we would have faith that your past faithfulness is evidence that you will continue being faithful to us pray that you would lead us to see that you are our protector, you are our shield, you will be the one who defends us in a way that is infinitely superior to the way we can defend ourselves. God, and I pray that the congregation, I pray that we would maintain our hope, that we would remember that we have hope with you, that there is hope for our enemies in Christ, and there is hope for our relationships. And Lord, when reconciliation is not possible, we have hope that you will make all things right. Salvation belongs to you. All things belong to you, God. I ask for your mercy and grace to be upon our congregation. Thank you, in Jesus' name.